0: Personal Finance with Warren Ingram. Personal Finance brought to you by Bidvest Bank. Bidvest Bank built for your business. Uh, Welcome to Warren Ingram. Warren is an executive director at Galileo Capital. He is a certified financial planner and a financial advisor. There are, I'm told, Warren, by a little birdie, the three most valuable principles in the world that if you learn nothing else about personal finance, if you learn these three principles they will take you down the path toward being financially free one day what are the, what are the principles and why do we need the principles well that is so overfull of financial information
1: um you know bruce i think that's almost exactly why we do need them because we're, we're kind of inundated all the time with Books, you know, um, social media accounts and the like, t- telling us about the seven steps to this and the twelve steps to that, and the seven, you know, eventually it's the the six steps to to insanity, I think. And and so, I, you know, if 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 people are listening to some, I, I think they they can easily get confused about what to focus on and how do they decipher noise from information. Um, and, and my problem with a lot of the, the these kind of, you know, the, these, these efforts to distill everything to the, you know, the top six, uh, is, is it either oversimplifies, uh, or, or, or it makes things too complicated. And, and a lot of the time it's nonsense, you know, from, from people who just don't know better. So, so I thought, well, let, let's try and just give, give people, Three real big broad principles that they can focus on. And if they spend a bit of time and effort on three principles, they, they get to cut out a lot of noise and, and get to focus on, on information. And, and the first one is, unfortunately, you've got to go back to school for a bit. You've got to teach yourself a little bit of market history. Uh, and and the reason is we, we, we when we're going through a stock market event, whatever that market event is, whether markets are booming or crashing or drifting sideways for months and years on end, and and no one knows what's going on, it will always feel like this is the first time. Whatever that whatever the event is that you're going through in the stock market, unless you've had a few of them in your past, you're going to think this is brand new. This has never happened before. Uh, and and you know there there is this um, uh, it's not cheesy uh, but but there is a cliche that says you know history never repeats itself but it but it rhymes and it rhymes very often and and I think it's absolutely true in stock market events and 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 so my first comment is take a bit of time if you're interested in investing and and you kind of should be if you want to retire uh, financially free th- then take a bit of time to understand how markets have worked in the past and I'm not saying you need to go and you know get your masters in economic history i'm just saying start to understand how how markets work in cycles and don't don't listen to big predictions we really are talking about history here and and the more you understand about how markets have worked in the past amazingly how, how um it will give you a lot more insight into how things are going to work in the future and unfortunately you'll never be able to predict what's going to happen tomorrow or next week or next year but it should give give you a great sense of comfort that uh, you you've kind of you understand where we are because this is another market cycle and and you'll start to to kind of figure out where you are in the in the in the cycle and especially when, when things are down and your investments are low in value and everyone around you is depressed and, and, you know, my, my tone on the radio is, is kind of bleak and, and, you know, I f- feel like I'm never getting up again. If you can remind yourself that actually markets turn cycles, you know, cycles happen and, and, you know, yeah. the, the opportunities will, will arise again to make money. It gives you a great way of making yeah, I mean, pretty sensible decisions.
0: Something really simple that you can do for yourself, and it's something I've just done in the last nanosecond, is just type in a Google search and just say S&P 500 market graph set against historical events or something along those lines. You can word it better than that. And what you get is over a long period of time, you get a wonderful graph which shows you an enormous number of ups and downs um, and a huge amount of volatility. But it also, um, if you find a good one, will show you key points along that. So 1929, there is this enormous drop in the value of the Dow Jones Industrial Average, it goes from the level of 400 down to, I can't remember the le- level, but it was uh, like it lost 90% of its value, so it must have gone down to 40 um, and then there was a slow recovery, and it took 50 years uh, or thereabouts to, uh, not 50, 30 years for the stock market to recover um, to its 1929 levels, which were overblown and overstated and uh, and a mess. And, and you gradually get to piece together, say, OK, there was a big global event. What was that event and what did that cause? OK, and then there was a recovery at some point. What was the cause of that recovery? And in between all of that, there was a the Great Depression and, and, and a war. And before that, there was a world war as well and a, and a global war global um, pandemic of influenza in 1919 and somehow the world kind of muddled its way through all of this what actions did people take and it's quite a simple way you don't need to go and read an encyclopedia britannica or the equivalent but just look at a graph that has got key dates on it and i find that very useful in terms of getting a reassurance that when there is crisis generally a bit like a kidney stone it passes it hurts like hell but it passes eventually
1: and and then things move again and and hopefully they move markets move upwards and 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 that's the that, that's the key in this and and it's amazing to to think you know if you go back 50 60 years there there, there have been quite a few conflicts in the middle east that that caused huge reactions um certainly di- disrupted the oil market you know and, and that that's key to everything uh, when, when it comes to the price of of moving your food or your items across the world, you know world is really important in that and and then we think about the the, the u s in conflict with with Russia you know that might feel new to a lot of people but but gee that's that's happened just was it was called the Soviet Union before it was called Russia, and you know we we kind of got clo- Kind of got to the brink of of some pretty big wars around that. So so whatever you're feeling now, and however it seems to you now, this has happened before, and and somehow markets work their way through that. And and I think a bit of history makes an enormous difference to to giving you context, and and then you, you can apply it to your own investments. Then you can say, well, gee, I'm I'm down ten you know, percent, and and all of this stuff has happened in the world. And if I look at that graph that Bruce has spoken about, you know, there have been times when the market's down 40%. Well, okay. 10% is not so bad. Maybe I'll just ride it out and, you know, and, and not panic and sell everything and, and hide all my money, money under a big rock. And, and so for me, history, history is an incredible teacher in this. And, and what I really like is it removes all the bias. It removes all the, you know, in, you know the prognostication from someone who wants to sell you a property in Mauritius or they want to sell you a trust in Guernsey or whatever it is you're learning for yourself about what's going to happen and how you can do things for, for yourself. So, so for me, uh, principle one, learn a bit of history and, and, and take a bit of time. And as Bruce says, it, it, it doesn't need to be a, a, you know, a big academic thing, but a, a bit of reading. Uh, a few graphs, a bit of history and, and, and you're done. And then every now and then when you panic, go and remind yourself, go back to those things and, and set your mind at ease. Or if you've never seen this before and, and this truly is a once in a lifetime event, then hopefully we'll have something clever to tell you on, on the next show when that happens.
0: Let's just go back 15 years, because that's within reasonable memory, all right? So there's a little thing that's called the global financial crisis that hits in 2008. And by the time the market bottoms out, in sort of January, February, this time of year, basically, in 2009, what was the level that the S&P 500 had sunk to? Uh, um I'm... Absolutely it's not, it's not a rhetorical question, and, 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 that, and that doesn't matter. But the, but the S&P 500 had collapsed, had collapsed to 676. That was on the 9th of March, 2009. And then it had this most wonderful recovery until 2010. Then suddenly there was the May 2010 flash crash. And in that moment, it felt like the world was coming to an end. But that was over in about three or four months. And then things recovered quite nicely, and then there was a European sovereign debt crisis in August 2011. Yeah, markets crashed again, and then you had Barack Obama's second term begin in uh, in 2013, and markets continued recovering a zigzaggy pattern. But by the time you get to the 26th of August 2014, so just what? Um, you know, five years after the market bottomed out at 6.76, the S&P 500 closed above 2,000 for the first time in 2014. And I'm going to save you all the other rows and ructions and Armageddon-type uh, issues, but when you look at it today, there's the S&P 500. It's dropped to just below 5,000 today, but the market is up. You know, it is more than doubled. Uh, since 2014 it's gone up it's 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 gone up considerably since 2014 despite the fact that stock markets in china crashed in 2016 and donald trump was elected as president and then you had a near revolution in the united states when he couldn't accept that he was uh, you know losing his job and then you had the covid crisis and 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 i mean yes, there's 10,000 reasons not to invest um and you've got to understand the history to know that these things pass absolutely good good advice warren i've been pontificating a bit um your favorite one though i mean so learn a bit of history and do it simply and realize that
1: stuff happens in the world and get over it diversification is one of your favorites and 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 so uh, I, had, I had a phone call from a financial planner today a reasonably experienced one saying you know how, how do i tell my client to sell their hedge fund which has gone to you know 11% between 11 to 11 to 16% every single year for the last 5 years so so and no one year's gone down it's just gone up year after year every single year with very little volatility and, and he's saying to me, you know, hand on heart, I, I, I'm not sure I can convince, uh, my clients to do this w- w- in good conscience. And, and I said to him, so you're, you're telling me that you've, you found an investment that's not lost money when we've had a pandemic, when we've had interest rates going through the roof in, in, in the U S, uh, and, and everything else that's happened along the way. This thing's only gone up year after year in double digits in dollars. Uh, and, and you're wondering w- w- why, why you should tell a client to get out. And, and, and the answer is, no investment goes up predictably in double digits year after year after year with all of those things that go on. What happens is uh, that that sounds like Bernie Madoff. That that sounds that sounds to me like a major <laughs> danger signal. So so if you're not going to tell your clients to move that money, then please do one thing, which is to tell them to sell a solid chunk of it and buy an index and 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 get it spread out from from that one hedge fund and and you know uh, if if the if the hedge fund continues to defy gravity and every other principle in finance then uh, th- then they will not thank you for selling the portion, but if it does what I suspect it might do and it implodes, they will be very grateful that you that you moved a chunk and that spreading of your assets away from the sure bets away from the things that everyone else is buying and 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 you you feel bad for for either not buying or or not holding uh you know into the future i i feel diversification is a great antidote to all the uncertainty all the what-ifs that that face us all the time as investors and so if you're sitting there and you've read a bit of history and you go I feel like I'm missing out still, you know, then, then by all means, buy a little bit if you really must, but whatever the thing is that, that's catching everyone's attention, the bright, shiny object, but, but make sure you've spread your money across different geographies, different markets, and most importantly as well across time. You know, if you've got a lump sum to invest, spread it out over time. If you need to draw lots of money out of your investments to, to do, to do some big expense, again, buy, buy out of those or sell out of those over time. But make sure you've got proper diversification across all of the assets, all of the geographies, and then sit back and watch. And, and yes, you might miss out sometime, but but over a long period of time, you'll win a lot more than those who have taken the big bet and maybe have done incredibly well over a short period of time. But watch them lose uh, over the longer term because the big bets never pay off year after year after year. So diversification, absolutely. It's a hard conversation
0: because the person sitting opposite you is going but I'm winning. But I'm winning. Why would I want to stop winning? And it's a it's a tough call. It really is. Uh, because next year, when the, it's gone up another 15%, they look at you as if you're stupid. Um, what is the final one? So we've got learn a bit of history, do diversification,
1: and what is the magical rule number three here, what? The magical rule number three is when you start and you, you take everything we've said and you take it on board and you start saving and you start investing, uh, you, you know, especially early on in your career, it feels like you're going nowhere. You, you know, you, you've, you've 10, percent of the thousand rand is not a lot of money. Uh, and, and so the, the, the point is not to stop. The point is to carry on. And as your salary rises, as your income rises, make sure you increase your savings faster than your salary is rising, to make sure that your expenses are not the thing that's rising as fast as your salary. So create that gap between your income and your expenses. If you can't do it this year, make sure you can do it next year. And what you find over time is it takes an incredibly long time for us to save our first million. And it doesn't matter whether it's your first million U.S. dollars, your first million rands. It doesn't matter what the currency is. But but saving your first million takes a long time. The second million is much quicker if you keep saving more and more and more because then you get the compounding which really helps you and you keep adding to it and, and I think that that's the thing. People get so depressed and despondent because they feel like they're not adding to the money but but just get that gap every year. Just keep keep going, keep saving, keep saving a bit more than you did the year before. Keep accelerating and then call us to say thank you in about 10 or 12 years time when you're sitting on a few million and you've done the diversification and you've studied your history because that's what's going to happen. These are Basic principles that you can focus on and you can ignore pretty much everything else that people are screaming at you about why you should be excited or why you should be panicking. Such good. So good. So good. Now, this a quick question from a mouse. I don't know their
0: name because they're a nonny mouse. But anyway, I bought three investment properties over the years with a view of using them to provide me with an income in retirement and have a pension fund through my employer. There are four years to go till I reach 60, which is the retirement age at work. I'd like to have more capital easily available in my portfolio because I'd like to take a few holidays. I also need money available in case of my medical expenses come up and I need to cover that out of pocket. Should I sell down my property portfolio gradually, let's say 1%. Every three years, or do I sell them all in one go? When is the best time to do this? In retirement or now? My goodness me! You got three minutes to go through a very complicated question.
1: And and, and I must say uh, I am I am a bit stumped. I mean, I did you did give me this before the time, and I thought about it, and I think I know what I'm doing, but but I don't have a straight answer for this one. I, 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 my sense is these are chunky investments. You know, it's it's almost as if you've, you own. You know, a heck of a lot of money and you've allocated them to only three individual shares and, and, you know, we don't know if they've done well or not for you, but, but, uh, but the point here is diversification, you know, it, it is a core principle and, and you are getting to the point where, where at retirement you need income, but you also need to protect the capital that you've got. So, so my, 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 my core principle here would be yes you should diversify and yes you should do it over time in other words i'm i'm not convinced that you sell all the properties in in one go i, I think you do sell them in in batches you know what one, one now and, and and i'm not sure if it's every 3 years i i, I don't know that i think I think it'll depend on where the property is, what kind of property and all those things. But but I do think if you go back to the the principle, the principle would be diversification. Too much money in in properties is not diversification and you do need to sell them so so please do that in batches over over time. And when's the best time to do it? I think you you start now uh, and 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 then just be really careful of tax, you know. T- tax is a big issue and, and you know if your income's going to be very low in retirement then selling more of the properties in retirement might be very tax efficient so that's worth con- considering uh, but, but but equally you don't want at retirement a chunk of your money sitting in two out of the three properties and then the property market implodes for the next decade and and you lose a a, a bunch of your retirement money so so i think be be very aware of the dynamic of the properties that you own you know have they done well in the past uh, in the past few years or or have they imploded are they really cheap and then, then maybe you sell a bit more slowly but but, but i think it's uh you, you know to to anani mouse i think that's a, it's a heck of a question you, you probably i think it's the first time in 12 or 13 years bruce, bruce doing this that, that that i'm stumped and i have to say i'm stumped <laughs> mouse well done to you i'm delighted that you stumped Warren
0: and it is if, if you'd like to apply your mind to it further Warren and, and come up with some, some deeper thoughts in, in the weeks ahead um, I, I think it's, a, it's a, certainly a worthwhile one a lot of people and uh, especially when we were doing the feature of other people's money where we're talking to well-known people the number of South Africans who like property because they like the feel of bricks and mortar they like the fact that they can see it they like the fact that there's an income stream that comes in that pays off the bond it feels like you're getting an investment for nothing there's so many factors to consider when it comes to property investment and um, high maintenance costs and tenant risk and all sorts of things, interest rate risk, all these sorts of things. Perhaps, uh, Warren, in a, a couple of weeks, uh, certainly in some points in the not-too-distant future, maybe just to focus on, let's drill into the property sector, which you've not been a fan of for a long period of time with uh, for many reasons, um, but there are lots of people who like it. So maybe the ins and outs of a property investment tale, I think that could be fun.
1: I think it's a a, a, a a great idea and let's see if we can uh, if we can help help people and maybe ruffle some feathers along the way of the property the property oh. goes. We love to ruffle feathers.
0: Warren Ingram, who is a director at Galileo Capital, he is of course a certified financial planner and a financial advisor plus plus because he's so busy a regular contributor to the money show on a Tuesday evening.